welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we're talking about our top 10 property investment strategies. This is our ode to the diversity of different strategies. And that is essentially the purpose of this list. We've got some great guests coming on, lining up for once we get out of lockdown, because we're still recording while Auckland is in lockdown. And what we want to do is instead of hearing all of these strategies one by one and thinking, gosh, there's so many, we wanted to do an episode first summarizing some of those. So we're going to go through the top 10 most common and you're going to see the diversity of the different strategies that are available. And I hope you take away from this particular episode that none of these strategies are right for everyone. And there's so much within this. So let's get into it. Andrew, what is our first strategy? I'm going to start off with the long-term buy and hold because that's our favourite. That's the one that we do most of the time here at OPS. And the reason is because it's relatively easy and it's somewhat foolproof if you are doing it for the long term. So the way this works, you buy a tidy investment property that's ready to rent out, you rent it out, and then you leave it. And so that's what makes it relatively good for most investors because you know if you've got a busy lifestyle, then you can kind of just leave property to its own thing. How do you make money from it though? Well, with low interest rates, if you're borrowing money, you can make a little bit of cash flow. If you're buying the property with cash, there'll be cash flow from day one anyway. But generally speaking, the bulk of your money is based on long-term capital growth. So a property going up over 15 years tends to double in value. Next on our list, this is our second strategy, is the burr. Now, this has a little bit of long-term buy and hold in it, but the strategy is you buy a property, you renovate that property to increase its value and increase its cash flow. You then rent it out, refinance that property. So you're trying to pull more money out of that, borrow more against that property since you've increased its value. And then you repeat the process. So you're buying them, renovating, renting them out, refinancing them and repeating. And the key here really is to buy well and then renovate well so you can increase the cash flow and increase what that property is worth so you can then refinance. So how are you going to make money out of this? Well, you're going to get some capital growth because you're doing it for the long term. It is going to be a long term buy and hold, but you're renovating it first. You're going to get some cash flow because you're trying to improve it through renovations. And potentially there'll be some through increasing the value of that property through your renovation. Sometimes people in the industry will call this instant equity. Now, of course, the key thing here is to buy well, know how you're going to renovate it and then actually conduct those renovations. And of course, having the money to be able to do those so you can keep going. What's number three on our list, Andrew? Number three is flipping and trading. So what the strategy involves is finding a property that you can buy under value and then selling it straight away to someone else for more money. And often that can be someone like a developer. So spotting an opportunity, a development opportunity. For example, Wilson's Road. Listeners have heard me talk about this in the past. I have now approached the neighbour, seeing whether or not we can get that property and the back property under contract and then package that up and sell it to a developer for more money because as a collective, the land is worth more than just the individual houses. You can also find a property, renovate it and sell it back on the market. Generally speaking, you do that in a relatively short period of time. So how do you make money from it? So the margin between what you bought it for or what the property is worth and what you sell it for is where you make your margin. There's no cash flow and there's limited capital growth opportunities because you know you might only own it for five minutes. 
The difference between flipping and the burr is that flipping and traders need to be much more focused on what they're paying for the property and also the renovation costs, since the deal has to be profitable on the day that you sell it. So you don't have that added time that forgives the market mistakes that you might make. So if you buy a property and overcapitalize it in the burr, you tend to make up for that. If you're buying and flipping, then you've got to get it right or else you're going to lose money. Number four on our list is boarding houses. Some room by room rentals will also fall into this category. So a boarding house is where you as a landlord are renting out individual rooms within a property rather than the whole house. And actually, the minimum number of tenants is surprisingly small for a property to be considered a boarding house. Legally, it is a minimum of six tenants. If they are renting these rooms separately, it'd be considered a boarding house. So this might be where you buy properties with lots of bedrooms, with some common space and so a common lounge, a common kitchen, and then you rent out each room separately. This is often targeted at student accommodation or sometimes people on lower incomes, working people. And I just want to say, not all of these are old and a bit sad. And I hope people don't get offended when I say this, but sometimes you look at boarding houses and you think, gosh, they're a bit sad because they're a bit run down or they're not really as nice. And perhaps you and I might not like to live there. But there have been some really cool ones that have come out in Auckland. There are four locations of a place called residence.co.nz, which are really nice and new purpose-built boarding houses that target young professionals who would otherwise flat. Now, how do you make money from this? It's a real cash flow play because you're not going to rely on capital growth as much because really it's a type of commercial investment. Nobody's going to buy a boarding house, particularly if it's older and turn it into their own home. So it is cash flow, a little bit less on, on capital growth, but there are certainly investors, we've got one lined up to come on the show, who can do very, very well out of boarding houses. What's number five? Number five is development. So this is where you find a piece of land or a property where there might be a house on it, but there's some land at the back and there's an opportunity to build a house or multiple houses slash townhouses on it. And it can be on a big scale or just a small scale. And actually an investor who came in to see me recently, he's a podcast fan, came in to see me, he owns a property in Christchurch, he was looking at developing the back and putting a couple of over 60s units on it. One of the things about development is it seems very easy often when you run the numbers and then there's often a lot of extra complexities to it and so when he went through quite a thorough investigation as to the feasibility of it, he realised actually this is going to be a bit hard and so now he's just going to you know stick to buy and hold and just make his money that way. So it's not for the faint-hearted and so when I say how do you make money from it, well it's easy. Cash flow, capital growth and developer margin and often developers will sell straight away but you can develop for hold as well and in fact most developers that I deal with who are at the latest stages of their life say their biggest regret was not holding on to more. One big thing I want to say here is that most developers actually don't make huge money. And right now, there are, <laughs> we won't name and shame them today, a lot of developers who are glamorizing it on social media. And it's really interesting because that's creating a whole wave of a younger generation of developers out there. But there will be a few that fall by the wayside. So just remember that development often requires quite a lot of capital input to begin with. So you need to do it with quite a bit of cash and things can go wrong because you don't know what you don't know. And often if you are going to sell it at the end, again, you've got to get those costings exactly right or you'll end up not making any money at all. 
Number six on our list are relocatable homes. Now this is a bit of an alternative to development. So if you've got that piece of land and you're ready to subdivide it if it's possible to do that, you could then go out and locate some properties that somebody's trying to get rid of because they're gonna bowl it over anyway and develop some properties on it and who wants to save on those demolition costs, you could then pay for that house to be moved onto your site, reconnect the services and rent them out. And how do you make money off that? Well, there's clearly the cash flow, there's some instant equity in there and some long-term capital growth if you're holding onto those properties. Word of warning, similar to development, it definitely is a lot harder than it sounds when we rattle it off in 40 seconds and give you the highlights of it because there can potentially be some quite large costs in getting these properties compliant, getting them consented and also connecting all of those services and moving them. Next on our list is number seven, which is commercial property. So what does that involve? Usually, if you want to make money in the short term, you buy a building which is under-rented or maybe has short-term leases or weak leases. So maybe a tenant who's been missing payments or maybe a tenant where their lease of 10 years is coming to the last year. And so that can be quite hard for people to lend against. And so as a result you might find that there are limited people that are able to buy that sort of thing. Not a prime tenant uh, or lower the market rents, or the other opportunity is if it's in a state of disrepair, if it's a Wellington property that's got seismic risk to it, then you can potentially spot those and be able to add some value. And so the way you fix that is you obviously bring it up to a higher quality standard or you do some earthquake strengthening or you increase the quality of the tenant and the rents. So, you know, if you can renew that lease to another 10 year period or you can get get uh, rid of these tenants and then put someone new in and get a higher rent, then that will improve the value because the value of a commercial property is dependent on the rental return and the strength of that lease. And so the calculation for that makes it really easy for you to add some value if you're able to do those things. How do you make money from it? Cash flow, obviously when it's all finished, but also capital growth. And cash flow for commercial property is great because your tenant pays at most of the operational costs. Three more to go. Number eight on our list is land banking. So what's the strategy? This is where you're purchasing a piece of land, generally an underdeveloped piece of land. So it doesn't have to be a bare section. It could be a very large section with one house on it, which isn't getting a significant amount of cash flow. But then you leave it. You don't develop it. And you're going to focus on trying to make money out of capital growth. Now, Generally, these are probably going to be very poor cash flow earners, certainly in the short term, even if it's got one house on it. But the idea is that if you hold it, you can get some larger than average capital growth over a period of time. So what's an example of this? There's some commercial land right next to the Opa's office in Christchurch. And I know that the owners of the building that we lease, Andrew, have been trying to get hold of this land so they can do something with it because it's right in the centre of Christchurch. And it's a wealthy overseas owner who just doesn't want to sell it. He's just going to leave it there. He's going to wait for it to appreciate in value. Maybe one day he'll do something with it, but it's probably working more as a store for value for him. Another one that I've seen is I once met a couple who owned a house in Mount Albert and over a period of years, they bought the house next to them on one side, then they bought the house next to them on the other side. It's a bit of a lifestyle for them. They live in one, they've moved their children into the other one. The last house, the third house, they've made that into their own home offices. But really the play there is for their retirement, that eventually they'll take these three properties that they've acquired and this will be their retirement fund. They'll sell it to a developer and they'll get some extremely good prices for it because they've got these properties over time. 
Number nine on the list is Airbnb. So what does that involve? Well, firstly, usually you'd purchase an apartment or a townhouse close to the city or an airport. Or maybe you purchase something to use as a holiday home, so something in a location where tourists are going to be drawn to. You'd furnish the property, and then you rent it out on something like Airbnb or Book a Batch. So how you make money from this? Well, really easy. You generally make a really high cash flow. And the good thing is if you're buying something that's a standard property as well, you can tend to get pretty good capital growth. Obviously, if you're buying apartments, you might not get as good a growth. But if you're buying a townhouse or if you're buying a batch, potentially that's going to get stronger capital growth as well. And the 10th strategy on our list is the one that you're probably using, but you don't even realize that you're using it, which is real estate investment trusts or rights. Now, what is this strategy? It's a type of syndication, but you're going to buy a share in these trusts. And usually these are listed on the stock market. You can buy shares in them. And what these companies will do is they'll invest in commercial properties or in commercial debt. So a couple on the NZX or in New Zealand, the Goodman Property Trust, Vital Healthcare, property trust. Those guys only invest in commercial property that is specific to healthcare, so hospitals and things like that. And they're going to go do that on your behalf. And historically, these have been really good earners in the stock market. They've been really strong dividends, really good, strong capital growth. Because how are you going to make money? You're going to get dividends from the cash flow. You're also going to get some capital growth in the value of your shares as those properties increase in value over time. Now, the reason I say that this is the strategy you're probably already using is that if you're in KiwiSaver, which I expect most people listening to this show actually are, you probably own some shares already in some of these real estate investment trusts, which is great. You're already using it. Perhaps you might want to do some more if you want to expose yourself more to that through the share market. So this is definitely an option as well as strategy number 10. And we'll probably talk more about this on the show. So those are our 10 strategies. But just before we wrap up, what I do want to say is, Even though you're probably thinking, gosh, there are so many strategies that I could potentially use, there's even more variation. There's types of properties, apartments, townhouses, standalone, multi-income. There's different areas. You can do off-market deals. You can do on-market deals. You can try and put a deal together like Andrew's talking about. But what I would try and get across to you is that while, yes, there are so many different ways to invest, you've got to find the one that works for you and the one that you can commit to. And probably don't feel that you have to do something fancy if it's not the right thing for you. So don't feel like you've got to go run off and put together an off-market deal if that's not the right thing for you because you want to be a long-term buy-and-hold investor or you want to be an Airbnb investor. And also don't feel that your strategy will be your strategy for life because your life will change. And so you need to be able to adapt to the right strategy at the right time of life as well. Fantastic. But I'm looking forward to digging into more of these as we have more guests on the show who specialize in these different things that we don't hear at Opus Partners and you and I don't, Andrew. So that's going to be really exciting to get that extra perspective as well. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you've got a topic idea that you'd like Andrew and I to talk about, Whip out your phone, send us a text. Our number is 5522. It'd be great to hear from you. Or just flick me an email. My email is ed at opuspartners.co.nz. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.